You are listening to the Mom Halo Podcast. This sweet ear candy will serve up laughs and aha moments as we talk to best-in-class thought leaders. These folks are dropping gems of genius. I'm Melana Kapitz, CEO and founder of the Mom Halo community. I'm a fun, fearless, freckled mom with three wild kiddos. I love to introduce you to ideas and people that will rock your world all while laughing out loud because that is the only way to get through the daily grind of parenthood. Plug in your earphones and let's get to them. Is listening to this kick-ass podcast the only time you get to yourself each week? Self-care is a daily need, so you can truly show up as your best self. Asking for a hand with endless to-do lists is part of that. When you sign up with Phoenix Pre-Worn, you get a curated zero-waste wardrobe of your child's favorite things every season. Everything matches and fits perfectly, so your child feels confident, comfortable, and ready to take on the day. Imagine setting your preferences and ending the hassle of returns, storage, and wondering what to put on in the morning. Visit www.phoenixpreworn to place your order and get an instant consultation to make getting dressed effortless each day. Listeners get 20% off with promo code HelloHalo until August 31st, and 10% of all proceeds will go back to Project Halo. Phoenix Preworn. It's kids' clothing done for good. Hi, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Mom Halo podcast. I'm your host, Alana K. Fitz, and I am super excited because we have a rock star in studio today, one of our resident scholars. Let's give a warm halo welcome to our friend, Marlene Spence. <laughs> hey! Hey, girl. Hey. Okay, Marlene, welcome. Tell us who you are, what you do, and where you're from. Yes, absolutely. So uh, once again, hello, my name is Marlene Spence. Uh, I am from Brampton, Ontario. I have two beautiful kids and I am a child behavior specialist and parenting coach. And so I help parents who are just feeling overwhelmed, kind of at their wet's end, really frustrated with their children's behaviors, tantrums, talking back, not doing, you know, what they've asked. Um, And I really just help parents to be able to kind of sort through what's going on um, so they can understand the needs of their children more and begin to enjoy parenting again with some really practical strategies. I love that so much. So as a parenting coach, a parenting expert... (laughs) Sorry, my kid is right next to me. Tell me, what is when people are calling you right now, Marlene, what is the conversation you're having? What's the chief complaint of your clients? Yes. Okay. So um, number one definitely would be the big emotions, right? My child is um, often dysregulated. They're often screaming, having tantrums. Um, And this can be at home, but this is also, I get a lot of calls about my child is in school, (laughs) They're having these big emotions. They're getting in a lot of trouble um, and their big emotions is resulting in, um, again, them unable to learn and unable to really cope at home. Um, And so parents are really frustrated and just unsure of what to do. Okay. So when they're calling a big, bigger emotions, how old generally would you say is your area of genius? How old are the kiddos that are, you feel like is your home run in terms of parenting solutions? 
Yes. So I love working with school aged kids. So that would be, um, so kindergarten. So I'd say like from three all the way up from three to 13, I like to say, uh, maybe even a little bit older, but yes, I love working with the school age kids. Um, because it never stops, right? There's always, there's always something in, in each, um, stage of development. And the big feelings, we talk about this a lot. And I, I've learned early on in my parenting journey that when I'm talking to my kiddos, I name their experiences. You're having big feelings. And that resonates so deeply. Why, why is that? Why do kids understand when I say during a tantrum or whatever's happening, I see you're having big feelings. And why, why does that language matter? Why does that work? Yeah, because it's part of that empathy. So when kids are able to make that connection and feel like you get me, like you understand how I'm feeling and that alone, just be, you don't have to, again, agree with, you know, their whole tantrum over the fact that they got two cookies instead of three, right? You you don't have to really understand it. But the fact that they are disappointed about that and that you can recognize and really just connect with that feeling is really what just even helps the brain to be able to um, regulate and and understand, okay, they get me, they understand me. And really just in that in in itself is really calming. I I appreciate that. I, I I literally had this experience this morning. My husband said he took my son's iPad away and he started having a tantrum because he had to get ready for school. And I'm sort of seeing now with him, if I say, oh, you're having big feelings, he absolutely can then express. He takes a breath and he can express. It's magic. What are some of the other magical things you have, Marlene, up in your sleeve? (laughs) Yeah. So definitely being able to connect. I think um, one of the other things would be, again, when your child feels that they're understood. um, And I think just by nature, right? Even us as adults, even us in our own relationships, when we're feeling that we're understood, we're able to be open and we feel safe. So being able to, again, when your child is able to come to you and to be able to talk to you about those big feelings, um, and just know that they have a space that, you know, mommy or daddy or whoever my caregiver is has space for those feelings that in itself is, is huge. Yeah. I believe like maybe I learned this at some other point in my life, but like if you, and I would like to know your t- point of this, like they are human beings, like they are yeah. full, full human beings and you have yeah. to treat them that way, you yeah. know? And if you don't treat them that way, then you have a big, big problem. And that's where things happen is where mm-hmm. you don't give them explanation. You don't try to engage with them. There's no conversation happening. And I think Marlene, we've talked about this in previous conversations, but mm-hmm. we all come from a certain background right. of of parenting strategies and parenting styles. Tell us a bit about maybe where the, where you came from and their, your parenting roots and what you experienced versus what maybe catapulted you into this ecosystem and this career decision. Yes. Okay. So I came, um, my parents are Jamaican. So coming from parents who were born and raised in Jamaica, um, very authoritative uh, parenting style, right? You, you do what I say, uh, there's no space for feelings <laughs> there. I, you know, there was no space for my own feelings. Um, again, right. It was a lot of like, if you're crying and you're upset, it's like, what are you crying for? Right. Not being able to show those emotions. And so <clears throat> I grew up in a home where I was just like, again, I, 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 when I became a 
parent, I was like, uh, I kind of knew this is not really, you know, how I was parented, not necessarily, you know, as how I want to continue to parent. Um, And so I knew that there needed to be a shift for sure. And so um, being able to, again, transition from, you know, me being the authoritative parent, whatever I say goes, me being in control of everything, um, really being free to be able to let go of that and understanding that, um, again, I'm going to make space for my own feelings. I'm going to make space for my my child's feelings. And I'm going to understand uh, and not take my my child's behavior personal. So that would be, I think, another huge thing. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's a lot of our dialogue here is parental preference between my husband yeah. and I. My kids have a preference for me almost all of the time. And he gets <laughs> so offended. How do we deal with that? How do parents deal with that when you're saying, like, yeah. don't take their emotions at face values when they say, I hate you, or I don't want you, or I want yeah. mama, or I want dada, like, Tell us about that. How do we as parents just internalize that? Yeah. So I always say, I mean, one of the rules I would say of parenting is parenting is as good as your mindset. And so if you're able to have, again, a growth mindset and a mindset where um, you're understanding your child's behavior is them communicating um, that there's an unmet need and not take it personally, then how you handle that situation, again, is going to be completely different. And so, again, if you're handling situations where you're, when your child isn't listening to you and you're taking it um, personal, that is where you feel like, no, 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 I need to take control of the situation. I need to make you know I am in control and you are not going to you know, be on that iPad because I am in control and this is what I said. Um, and so, again, it's being able to step back and be like, okay, what are the needs? What are those those things that need to be? Um, how do I understand them? How do I put myself in their shoes for a second um, and realize it's not personal? Not it's not personal. always personal. Not always personal. Sometimes <laughs> it is. It is sometimes personal. Uh, and if it is personal, again, um, so I would also have to say, uh, I think one of the other keys to parenting is relationship. So being able to have a genuine relationship with your child um, is so important. And so again, when I say relationship, I know a lot of parents often think, uh, well, of course I have a relationship with my child. They're my child. Um, but how, uh, how do you guys connect? How do you really connect with your child? Um, what are some of those things, you know, that you do um, to help uh, um, to create and build a really good rapport and relationship? How do you fill their love tank? Um, what are some of those things? And again, it's, it's, we often take for granted that, of course, you know, I have a good relationship with my child, but really being able to step back because especially when your child gets into the teenage years. If your child, um, if they're, if you haven't really built a really good connection, if your child really doesn't feel safe and open, if you're not really feeling like, um, if your child's really feeling like, you know, I'm never heard and never understood, then you are going to get a lot of resistance and things are going to be personal. So being able to take a step back and really um, be able to connect and have a genuine relationship with your child is, is huge. Um, because again, we always hear connection over correction, right? And so that is a, a huge, a huge 
part of, um, you know, your child's behavior. You've really got to be able to have that connection and not take for granted that, oh, of course I'm the parent. So of course there's a connection there. I love that. Thank you, Marlene, for taking us through that. I think that's a real misconception that a lot of parents don't understand. You have a kid, you bring them into this world and you sort of, you know, go from trying to keep them alive as your main task to trying to raise them to be complete people. And I think, you know, that connection over correction is if there could be a banner of something that I have learned through trials and tribulations, it is Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. tell us when, um, that shift happens from like sort of trying to keep your kids alive to when you actually have to start shaping people. What are the most formative years? What are we talking about? When do you really imprint who they are, what they're about? Yeah. So I would say research says, you know, up until I think it's eight, eight um, are like the really impressionable years where you're really molding your child to, um, you know, understand who they are. Um, and really be able to develop those connections. Now, in saying that, again, it's never too late, right? If you don't have a strong connection with your child, it's, it's never too late um, to start. But you definitely, you know, in those in toddler years, um, you really want to be able to, um, again, see what their interests are, go with that, really be able to connect, um, look at their personalities and really begin to um, help them shine and grow um, in those in those strengths that they have. So let's switch gears a bit. You're a parent and your kid is in grade school for the first time, kindergarten and onwards. It's report card season. Report cards come home and you see something that you're on the report card that makes you take pause. Mm-hmm whatever it might be, behavioral, academic, whatever. And what what do parents do in that moment? Because I've had this happen to me before where, you know, um, it was in the first report card my son, my son had. I was so surprised with the feedback. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, man, I feel like I don't even know my kid. Like, what do you mean he's like that at school? Um, and now I'm seeing less of that. I'm seeing more, you know, feedback and reports of things that I, I know to be true about him. But what do we do when we see an external person who is responsible also for their growth and development, mm-hmm. um, sort of pinpointing something that could use work. How do we also, how do we work on that? And how do we not take that personally? Yeah. Okay. So of course, as a parent, you're like, what, what is this happening? Right. So again, we kind of take it personal because it's like, this is a reflection of me. <laughs> um, but I think it's important to step back and again, think of your child is in a completely different environment with different expectations, right? And so now, you know, here they are in a classroom with maybe even 29 other kids. Um, There's so many skills there that they need to learn how um, to to do in that classroom, right? How do you um, cooperate? How do you plan? How do you organize? How do you do all that when you have all these other kids you need to share things with, where you have, you know, teachers constantly telling you, you know, things could be really structured um, or not as structured as the child desires. So understanding that your child's in a different environment and they have to learn um, or they're learning and in the process of learning of what those different expectations are. And talking about expectations, uh, we um, for all of our scholars, we've asked them to send us some tips and tricks that we think are really, really, I want to say practical. So let's switch gears a bit now uh, for a bit and let's talk about um, something that I'm starting just to explore now with my five and six-year-old, my five turning six-year-old, this idea of telling your kids something as simple as, 
Go clean your room. Yes. Let's talk about this go clean your room. When your kid's room gets messy, their bed needs to be made, their toys are everywhere, their books are everywhere, and you say as a parent, you got to go clean your room up. <laughs> let's let's walk us through that. Why is yes. this such a hard task for kids to understand? Yes. So um, again, as parents, we're just like, why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you listening to me? But it's really peeling back those layers and understanding when we say go clean your room, there's a lot of skill that is required. Okay. And those a lot of executive functioning skills. And so those are skills, um, you know, that are kept in the frontal cortex of your brain um, that helps us to really be able to plan. And so when it comes to cleaning your room, um, some of the skills that a child uh, has to have is they have to be able to uh, plan right? So what are they going to be able to do first? Uh, Plan and be able to prioritize, right? Where are they going to start? What are they going to do um, first? They have to be able to have sustained attention. So not get distracted when they see, you know, their toy car um, and stop cleaning and playing with it, right? So being able to to have sustained attention um, and all of these other skills are just so important. And so if your child is struggling with that, then struggling to, then they may struggle to be able to um, clean the room. And, you know, I personally, so there are some executive functioning, we all have executive functioning skills that we're higher in and, um, you know, that we need to, you know, continue to work on. I get over overwhelmed when things are really, really messy. And I feel like I don't even know where to start here. And so a lot of the times it's just understanding um, how do you help them? What are the skills? How do we teach them those skills instead of just saying like, go clean your room. Like I, I told you to do that. I don't understand why you haven't done it yet. So you literally, let's go through the tasks, right? So we're talking about task initiation, the ability to begin a task in a timely manner and without procrastination. Like, hello. I know. Adults who could do that. Let's talk about that. (laughs) Right? So again, and this is the thing. I think it's important, again, that we remember as adults, we have issues with this right? Um, And so how do we not expect our kids to have the same issues as well um, at times? And so again, task, uh, being able to break things down, um, really helping them to be able to chunk things down into steps. Um, A lot of times, again, we verbally say a lot of things um, and our kids aren't able to process or retain a lot of the verbal information um, you know, we're saying, do this, do that, do that. And, and really they've only heard the first thing that we've said and everything else <laughs> they have not processed. Um, and so again, it's being able to be clear with those expectations, being clear with where to start, where to finish, um, and making things visual for them so that they can actually, you know, have a checklist or, you know, pictures of what do they pick up first? I love that. So yeah, I mean, some of the tips you said, try this. It's not that simple. We had to talk about working memory and also like taking initiative, but then also sustained attention. You literally wrote the ability to stay focused and pay attention despite feeling bored, distracted and feeling tired. I mean, this is such a human trait. Talk about COVID, talk about parent or talk about life. Yeah. I can't stay focused on a task for more than, you know, so long. So yeah, um, that that's a huge piece of it. And we do go through these tips a bit about, and we will share this publicly about simple tips to get your kid to basically 
clean up their room, which is also a great skill to learn how to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you said make a checklist of the tasks that need to be completed and clean the room successfully. And then you said decide which tasks to start with. Yes. Next, we talk about complete all tasks with your child for a few weeks. Take a picture of the clean room so they know what the end product looks like. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Tell us more about that. That's so smart. Yeah. So I know I get a lot of parents saying like, I don't understand. They can clean up, you know, the classroom really well, <laughs> but when they come home, they don't clean anything. Uh, and so part of the reason that, that happens is because in the classroom, there's a compartment for everything, Right. They know in the classroom where the Legos go. They know, right? There's a Lego bin that's labeled. They know where the blocks go. They know where everything kind of has a place. And so and to help our own kids be organized, uh, first, we need to reduce a lot of the things, um, even just in their room. But again, having a space for everything that is clearly labeled. So they know this is where my socks go. This is where, so it's just easy. They know exactly where everything goes. Everything is really organized. Um, and there's no, there's no guessing. No guessing. That is the key takeaway for me. Take that photo, make sure that they see it. Those visual cues. Tell us about kids and visual cues. Mm-hmm. Talk us through that a bit. Why does a checklist, a visible checklist really matter? Yeah. So again, uh, we are able to, and again, it, this applies to us even as adults, being able to retain um, Verbal, we can't retain verbal information as well as we can um, visual information, right? And so, again, if we're feeling overwhelmed, um, it's better to be able to refer to something and go back to something rather than to recall. So, again, if I'm taking a Timmy's order, you better write that down because I'm not going to remember, right? Yeah. So, again, being able to have it visually. helps our brain to be able to process. And it really helps your child to be more independent. So now they're just not saying, you know, what do I do next? What do I do now? What, you know, what's coming up? Um, Now, again, they can independently be more independent and more responsible with what they're doing. So now you can say, this is your checklist. This is your visual schedule. This is where you go when you're unsure. And again, that is just such an amazing transferable skill that you're going to need for life. Because again, we, we, I, I had to plan this date with you, right? And that was in my planner. And so I had to refer to that to remember what I had to do for the day. I love it. And the amount of life skills that we're learning here is, is remarkable. I love these gems you're dropping. And I have to say, I do go to, I mean, I don't know how, what age is appropriate for kids to start making their beds and cleaning their rooms, but I think my kid can handle that. And this has inspired me that maybe this is part of his chores or his contribution to our family. And I do see that he's interested in learning how to make a bed and he's interested mm-hmm. in folding shirts and those sorts of things. So I think this will be our new task as we'll start uh, doing that. When is an appropriate time for a kid to start learning to clean their room, make their bed, put their stuff like it in that way? When when is when would you start this ideally? Yeah. So I love this question, Elena. Um, I get this question a lot, and I think, as you said, our kids at like two, at one, they are seeing us and they are interested in what they're doing. Right. This is also why um, little play kitchens and all of these mini, you know, brooms and stuff at toddler age. This is why these toy manufacturers make this stuff because they know kids want to mimic what we're doing. Um, and so, again, your child being able to help you, um, you know, uh, uh, do their um, beds and and help with the dishes and all that stuff. 
I think it's important that even at a young age of one or two, have your child come alongside you, especially if you're seeing that they're interested in it, right? It's as simple as like, hey, I'm going to make the bed, you throw the pillows on after, right? Um, When you're washing those dishes, you know that they want to play in the water too. Why not have their wash, you know, wash a a cup Um, and and make it fun and enjoyable, right? And I love that you said um, contribution to the family because really it's a matter of we're working together um, for our family. And so I do think it is important at a very young age to begin some of those things. So they just say, this is how we work together as a family. Um, now mommy's going to wash the dishes. Um, and again, having them, you know, with the stool and being able to rinse a few things, um, making it fun and, and they just feel so empowered. And so if we start young and we just continue that, we make it fun and engaging, When they're nine and 10, it just becomes a regular thing, right? It's not like all of a sudden I didn't let you do this. And now now I'm like, you're nine. And I'm like, you know, do this now. (laughs) So funny. We were, I was talking to a girlfriend of mine and our kids are, kiddos are the same age. And we just sort of done things differently. And she saw on FaceTime that he had, my son who's five, went into the fridge, took out a hot dog, found a bun, put them together and put it in the microwave. And she's like, my kid would not even know how to open the fridge. Like, it's just not what they learn to do. So, you know, intuitively, I think we are doing some of those stuff, but I think if, if anyone's having an aha moment today, my aha moment is it's a refresher to, to show them how to do the things we want them to do. And I know sometimes when I see my friends, kiddos who are a little bit older in the nine, 10, 11, 12, and they are doing those, they're cutting the vegetables. They're part of the salad making. They are, their beds are made. I mean, that's just what they know how to do that. That was, that was somebody taught them that they just didn't like one day say, I'm going to wake up and I watch YouTube and know how to make a bed. Like their, their folks were, somebody was guiding them on that and that experience. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's really beautiful. So let's switch gears a bit now, a bit for the next few minutes. Tell me a time when you had a difficult conversation with a parent right now. What's a really hard mm. conversation people are having? Oh boy. Um, so I think a hard conversation. Um, so I think I talked to a lot of parents who, again, are, are finding it hard to shift from that authoritative, um, you know, I've got to be in control and I'm not going to make them rule me kind of attitude um, and having them shift that. So I think a lot of the, again, I think it's um, helping parents to be able to understand um, what their own unmet needs are. And again, a lot of it sometimes is, you know, them not feeling control, them being stressed about some other things, um, and how that plays into their, their parenting with their child, um, and how their expectations, um, again, are just unrealistic. So sometimes, you know, your child's five, but you're expecting them to get, clean their room perfectly and make their bed um, perfectly. And then sometimes the expectation, right, of, of, um, are, are just too high and they're unrealistic. And now a word from our mom, Halo podcast sponsor. Who needs superheroes when we have moms? What if I told you that changing your underwear could change everything? Well, I have two questions for you. Have you tried period underwear yet? 
And when it comes to pros, are you still wearing ones with underwire? NYX is an intimate apparel company that is reinventing products for real life. Millions of people have switched to using revolutionary leak-proof underwear to protect against period and light bladder leaks, and even more are ditching their uncomfortable underwire bras for super supportive and super comfortable wireless bras. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order. Just go to nyx.ca and use promo code MOMHALO at checkout. That's K-N-I-X dot C-A. Promo code MOMHALO for 15% off your first order of life-changing wireless bras and leak-proof underwear from NYX. Our friends over at Mini Miage are our go-to shop for head-to-toe organic kids' wardrobes, essentials that look as good as they feel. Not only is each Mini Miage piece ethically and sustainably produced here in Toronto, but 1% of all of the sales are donated to organizations and initiatives that support kids and help them thrive. A promise to customers that the better that they do as a company, the more good they can do for the world. And we love this. Last year, we collaborated with Mini Miyosh on a special edition Kind Human Club family collection in support of Project Kalo for Sick Kids, which has raised more than $23,000 in donations to date. Head over now to minimiosh.com to learn more about their awesome initiatives, including the latest drop of the KHC gear, their first ever women's collection, M and West, and all of your kids' summer essentials. So let's talk about unrealistic expectations and maybe some parent coaching, literally where you are coaching parents. I know, for instance, our biggest... Um, issue right now with my husband and I in our sort of marriage and our household is we're not always on the same page when it comes to parenting. And I don't believe in like a, I mean, there's gentle parenting where you really never raise your voice and you really never sort of, there's no repercussions and those sorts of things. But we tend to um, get into a slippery slope where I'm trying to use every strategy I know in the book, like in order to get my kids to listen, I'll whisper an instruction so that I really have their focus. Or I'll say, Essa, you really cannot do that right now. That's not okay. We don't hit our brother or whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? And Matt will be like, Essa, don't hit you. So as soon as he escalates his voice, she's not listening, right? Like, and I'm trying to like get him on voice. He's like, so what are we supposed to do? Whisper everything. I'll tell you, he just can't get his head wrapped around it. So tell us about sometimes when you have two folks that are responsible for um, trials rearing, how do you get everyone on the same page? Yes. And so I think, um, ideally it would be fantastic to have, you know, on the, on the same page. I'm going to tell you though, realistically, I, it's okay. If everyone is not on the same page all the time. Um, and again, I think we worry a lot about that. Um, but I think as, as when you're having the conversation, I think with your parenting partner, um, being able to be open and say like, again, in private conversations, I think being able to express like, Hey, like what, what are our, um, absolute, like, we're not going to do right again. Like what are, what are going to be our, our parenting values? What are, I think having that broad picture, um, again, like, you know, I, I, I yell, I'm a parent coach and I yell at my kids and, and I lose it. Right. And so, um, Again, I think it's a lot of it is just understanding kind of, again, where your where your parenting partner is at um, in their parenting journey and um, being able to help them through it uh, without, you know, again, criticizing and understanding. And again, sometimes it's OK for your kids to be able to uh, to to have that um, as well. Right. I have a little bit of of both uh, as well. 
I love that so much. I think that's the most crucial piece for me. When you are parent coaching, um, do you have both folks on the call at the same time? Like who actually is leading the charge here in these conversations? So a lot of the times it is the mama. I usually get the call from, um, you know, the, the mother who's usually the one that's like, okay, I'm, I'm actively trying to do this. Um, and, um, yeah, so a lot of times it is the mother and trying to haul, you know, <laughs> trying to haul the dad and the other parenting partner, like, like into it. Um, but again, I think sometimes just if, if there is one parent who's doing something differently, um, and kind of wants to change the trajectory of, of how they parent, I think, again, you don't necessarily need to wait until that other parent comes along and comes on board. I think um, sometimes just you being able to model strategies, you being able to, um, you know, parent differently. A lot of times the other parent will see, um, eventually see the benefits of that and see kind of what works um, and being able to say, you know, I've noticed, you notice that when I do this, you know, this is kind of what happens. But when this happens, um, you know, things just seem to escalate and things aren't really resolved. Like, uh, let's talk about that. So again, being able to have those conversations, but a lot of the times it is, um, you know, the mama that that's calling out for help. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that. Now let's, let's talk a little bit about um, when you are trying to set up a family unit, when you are trying to plan for your parenting strategy or parenting style and somebody is not on board or a grandparent derails it, how do you have that conversation? So for imagine like as we, as the world is opening up and we're sort of in March, 2022 and it's the endemic, I'm hoping and praying that we're coming to the end of it. And I tell, I send my kids to my folks and their, their grandparents. And we say, you know, we really don't want them to have sugar after five o'clock because you're just, you're, you're going to have serious bedtime battles and it'll be a disaster for everybody. And we come to grandma's house at six o'clock and the kids have a big bowl of ice cream in front of them. How do, how do you navigate those conversations, Marlene? School, school me, because take me to church on this because I don't I know. know what to do on this one. Yes. Um, so those are hard conversations, right? And again, you know, they mean well, that's the grandkids, they, they want to be able to show up and love and, and do all those things. And um, so again, I think sometimes there comes a point sometimes where again, depending on the situation, um, we're just going to know this weekend, our kids are going to have a sugar high. <laughs> like, right. Um, uh, so it does sometimes come to that. But again, I think being able to have these conversations um, with our parents in a non-offensive way um, where we're saying, okay, you know, this is this is what we're noticing when they come back. This is, you know, what are some other things that we could do? Or I know that you love to give them ice cream. How about we, you know, how could we plan, um, you know, when you're going to give it to them? And again, if they're reluctant, there's some the grandparents, you know, they don't care. They're going to do it their way. Um, and it's, it's going to be hard to be able to change that mindset. Um, and sometimes the kids will even say, no, 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 no. Like, I think that as well, sometimes the kids will say, no, 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 we don't do this. <laughs> um, and so also just even being able to empower your kids and letting your kids know kind of, okay, so this is, you know, remember, try not to have this, you know, after a certain time or remember your bedtimes. Um, and so sometimes just being able to have the kids be able to, um, also understand what the expectations are, uh, will help everyone be able to follow through. 
So here's my other question that I sort of experience sometimes that I don't really know how to manage. And maybe you can give me some advice while we're having this public session. Um, I often find sometimes when I'm in a family dynamic with other adults who are non-parents, but they're really close to me, aunties and uncles and stuff like that, they will try to parent my kids a bit Mm -hmm. publicly. And it's, I don't know if I'm getting insulted because I'm like, you don't like how I parent or they are seeing a behavioral thing where they'll look at me and say, your kid just doesn't listen. How do you handle that? The fact your kid doesn't listen. I'm like, yeah, what are you trying to say to me right now? Like, (laughs) I know the limitations of my kids and their kids. Like they listen to me at home when we're in our routine, when we're at your house and things are completely wacko and they haven't left the house in two years and they're at grandma's house. And it's like, literally a fun zone. Like I don't expect them to be on their best behavior here. This is us departing from our routine. So I think that's my question is when you see somebody else trying to parent your kiddo or say something or use that as a discipline moment. And how are we supposed to respond to those moments? Yeah. So I think sometimes just being more curious and asking them like, Oh, so let's talk about that. Like, so why, why would you say that exactly? Or what, what are your thoughts? Um, And then sometimes it's also just them um, just needing a little bit more knowledge on, you know, child development and, you know, understanding the stage that your child's at. Um, and so being able to explain, you know, my, my child, actually, this is their personality. This is, you know, at, at this age, they, ha- they have a lot of energy. Um, and so what we do, this is what we, we do with that. And, and it is, uh, you know, again, it's, it's, uh, backed up, you can say, you know, certain things that, you know, if it's, you know, backed up by research and science, right. Being able to sometimes just give them information as to, um, why you do what you do and how, you know, it has worked and, um, just kind of giving them some understanding of how and why you do things. And again, exploring what their thoughts are. Oh, okay. So you thought they didn't, they weren't listening because, you know, this happened, um, and hearing them out. Right. Cause again, you yeah. you don't want to dismiss what they're what they're feeling either. I love that so much. Tell me, I'm I'm looking forward a bit when we're looking at grade six and beyond, sort of out of elementary school. <laughs> what are those calls you're getting about? Because I'm hearing some horror stories right now. Of to be honest, I would just call it cyberbullying. And I think that like you know, from my friends with kids, mm-hmm. you know, age nine and on, where these group chats are happening on Facebook, yeah. FaceTime. And it's maybe because it's a pandemic thing that's happened the last two years. I'm really hoping it's over by the time my kids get there. But I thought we sort of were raising our kids to be super nice and to be anti-bullies and pink shirt date and all this. What is happening with these kids right now? Well, these kids who are a little bit older, what are you seeing in those conversations? I'm not talking about sort of the early ages and stages of like mm-hmm. those foundational moments of setting your kid up. Mm-hmm. It's when your kid, I would say, is beyond five or six years old, entering seven, eight, nine, tweens and teens, and they are having really hard moments. Yeah. What are those calls looking like now, Marlene? Yes. Okay. So, and that's a stage again, where there's so much happening developmentally. Right. And so they're, they're understanding who they are at this point, peer influence is huge. Um, and so again, in their discovery of who am I, where do I fit in, in this world? Um, understanding again that, you know, I want to be liked. How do I be liked? How do I fit in? How do I fit in with my friends? Like, these are all the questions that they're having at this point. And so, um, and this is why too, it's so, it's so important that our kids, um, have a safe space, as I said, right. So again, being able to develop, develop that relationship is really important. Um, and understanding that 
first of all, understanding that there's no way that you're going to be able to eliminate that stage from your child, right? And so being able to navigate those things, I so I think it's so important that um, we help our kids, you know, be confident in who they are. Um, and if they've made bad decisions and made bad choices, I think it's important that, again, we're, we're taking a step back um, we're creating that safe space by allowing them to be able to share and talk about it. And then we're teaching them, you know, why that was about a decision and how that really affects others. So again, in, in this development of, and, and stage, um, they're really into themselves, right? They're not even sure the cyberbullying, they're, they just want to look good. And they're not really considering how that other person may feel, um, or even the, the child on the other end who, you know, may have been bullied themselves are like, why me? Why is this happening? So again, I just think it's so important in this stage to have that open dialogue. You don't want them to be able to keep it in. Um, and so if you need professional help, uh, definitely, you know, that's so important that you're able to seek that out. Uh, but you want your child to continue talking. And you want your child to be able to share, um, you know, how they're feeling, what's going on. And you really want to be able to, again, what are some things, how are, uh, how are they feeling about themselves, their own self-esteem, their own self-worth, um, their own values. And um, what are some things that you could do to be able to help them with that? Man, oh man. I mean, not that I'm an extreme planner. I am an extreme planner. I'm a Jewish woman. My son is five turning six and I'm planning his bar mitzvah, which is when yeah. he's 13. Like that's how I'm thinking right now. I'm like, oh, where is your bar mitzvah going to be? So, but I can't help but think because I do have friends who are just like a little bit older and ages and stages in terms of vintage. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're experiencing this stuff right now. And I'm petrified because, you know, I see my kid, he loves his friends. He'll do anything for his friends. And I'm already feeling like I'm losing him a bit. Marley, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like I've lost control and it's not about control, but his priorities of shit, he would love, he would do anything to go spend all of his time yeah. with his friends. Yeah. He needs me around. He likes to know I'm around, but if, if I gave him the opportunity, Marlene, he would literally be at his best friend's house every day, <laughs> sleeping over and never leave their kitchen table. Tell us about that in terms of our parents, parenting strategy. When are we going to expect that moment when you know, our kid's best friend becomes the most important person in their life. And we know, I know, for instance, I look at my family of origin in which I grew up. I love my parents and I respect them. But I was like a hyper-social teenage kid who loved my friends and would do anything for them. And, you know, I still love and respect my parents tremendously. They launched me and I'm, you know, they're proud of who I am and what I'm about. But I know from like a very early on, like for myself and my adolescence and in my teenagehood and in my tweenhood, like I was obsessed with my friends. Mm-hmm. I was really, really central. And I'm already seeing that happen with my kiddo and he's not even yet six. Yeah. So um, tell me about those moments. When is it, is that healthy? Is this normal? Yeah, so absolutely healthy. And I think it also has to do with personality. So if your child's also like an extrovert, right? Um, then that's going to play into it. <laughs> my, my husband's like, where do you think he got this from, babe? <laughs> yeah. it's like, where do you think this has come from? I'm like, I know my husband, my child is the most welcoming, warm, like friendly, likable, talks to every stranger on the street. Hi, like sees a kid. We went to go pick up sushi the other night, just anecdotally. We went to go to pick up a sushi restaurant, like from our sushi restaurant where there was a mom and a, and a child sitting and talking. He walks up to the table and was like, hey, what's your name? How old are you? I'm like, we just walked into a random restaurant and he started like, can I be friends with her? He always says, can I be friends with her? I'm like, you're my kid, man. So I get it. I totally get it. But I'm also a little bit sad that he's like, there's so much emphasis now in his own 
relationship to other people that are not yeah. his family. Go for it. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So definitely. I mean, uh, knowing that his strength is being an extrovert personality, that, that's fantastic. Um, so again, I know a piece of you is like, what? Um, but just knowing, I guess he's going to know that his, his friends are there. His friends make him feel alive. Um, you know, and I'm sure there's, there's a certain influence that he probably has with his, his friends as well that, um, you know, that, they're unable to have at home. And so I think that's definitely natural. And I think in terms of ages and stages, uh, you know, again, preteen as, as they begin to, uh, again, want more autonomy, right? They're fighting for more control of the world. They want more of a voice. They want to be heard. Um, and it's, so it's, it's, oh, who can I attach myself to um, that's going to listen. And so again, this goes back to the real building rapport. Um, because if you're, if your child's also feeling like, oh, I can't connect with my kids. I, I feel so disconnected. I've never really heard. They're not really listening to me. I don't feel like I have control at home. Then that's also going to propel them as well to, um, keeping secrets and not sharing. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 See, this is what I'm concerned about. And I see like, there's this new wave of like the cool mom where like, you know, kids are smoking and drinking under their own roofs. And as long as they're doing it under my roof, I'm okay. You know, that sort of thing. I mean, I'm not sure I'm okay with any of that. I'm not sure how I feel about any of those things yet. And it all feels so scary. I just feel like, when do we see Marlene, like sort of this, the innocence loss? Where do we see sort of this like belief in Santa Claus and the tooth fairy and like, they're really cute kids to like, they're not that cute anymore. And they really have lost that sparkle that makes kids kids when does that happen because that to me feels like a morning of a of a, yeah. of a parenthood journey speak to that a bit if you don't mind you know what so that's that's a hard question to kind of answer I think it depends on so many things um you know if a child has experienced trauma or had some kind of you know um, negative child experience then that might be a lot earlier um for them uh, but, you know, typically again, um, you know, so my daughter's 13 and I, I'm slowly seeing her, you know, again, just little things like Christmas, Christmas is a, it's a huge thing for us, you know, love to put together the tree as a family. Um, and last year she was like on her phone talking to her friends and I was like, we're going to do the Christmas tree now. <laughs> like I'm putting up the tree now. And she was just like, not even interested. <laughs> Um, that breaks me. I don't know if I, I can handle that. Honestly, I don't know if I'm, I'm Jewish and I like, I don't know. I feel bad for your Christmas tree. Like, I don't know. I really don't know if I can handle that. Yeah. Yeah. It and so it sounds like, terrible. It is. It is. And right. And again, this is, this is why I'm in tears as she's getting older, because I know part of me also has to let go. And I know that right now I'm shifting from being the coach for her right? So I'm going to be helping her coach her through decisions, not telling her what to do, but then again, questioning things and helping her be able to come up with um, really solutions. And so again, that transition, it's definitely tough. Um, you know, no one talks about that. It's, it's hard. Um, but knowing again, it's a stage, it's, de it's a development. It's them, again, really uh, being able to assert their autonomy and feel control um, over their environment and how are they able to, to do that? Man, oh man, I'm, 
I'm excited and I'm like, I find that I'm constantly like, I can't wait for them to get older. And then I'm like, oh my God, I look at my kids now and I'm like, they're so delicious. I want you to like stay in my arms and stay so cute forever. It's what a messed up thing being a parent, yeah, eh? This is, is torture. <laughs> it is, it is. It's tough. Marlene, I, I think this has been such a fabulous conversation. I just want to bring it home. If there's one piece of advice you want people to hear today, what do you want them to hear beyond anything else? Let's let's hear what you want to share. So I would say, um, so again, I, I, so two things I would say. So again, parenting is as good as your mindset. So just being able to think of, um, you know, are you having a growth mindset? Are you kind of feeling that you're kind of in this cycle um, where, you know, there, there isn't a lot of growth and you're, you're trying to do that. So remembering parenting is as good as the mindset. If you're going to stay positive, um, it's going to be a positive experience. Uh, the second thing I would have to say is remembering that it's it's not about perfection. So it's progress over perfection. Uh, so a lot of times, you know, parents feel like, oh my goodness, again, you know, we take it like my child is, is getting in trouble school or they're having these big emotions and, and I just feel like I'm not getting it right. And I think I want parents to know is it's okay. You're not going to get it right. <laughs> that We're not supposed to get it right. That's okay. It's progress. Are you making progress? It's not about perfection. Um, our kids are always going to give us opportunities to try it again. So if you freaked out and you yelled and you totally didn't handle a situation, maybe the way that you would have liked, um, that's okay. Cause guess what? In the next 24 hours, I'm sure your child's going to give you another chance yeah. to redo it. I love that so much. Okay. So to me, the big takeaways are you definitely have another opportunity to parent up a bit and put on your big girl panties and do it correctly. I love that so much. Um, So I I encourage you all, by the way, uh, Marlene and I did a really moving conversation uh, Mm -hmm. during Black History Month. So if you're not on our Instagram account, uh, we had a really, really awesome conversation just about melanin skin and racialized parenting and the sort of the different plight and realities of growing up, um, and, and parenting kids who, who, whose skin color is not white um, and what that reality looks like. So I didn't want to get a dive deep into it today because we've had a very mm-hmm. heart-wrenching <laughs> conversation. It was a holy shit moment for me, uh, Marlene. So I appreciate you do that. Um, thank you so much for your time and energy today and for always bringing so much of yourself forward to our community. Tell us quickly where we can find you, your Instagram handle, your Facebook page, share all the messages of where you can be reached. Yes, definitely. So I mainly hang out on Instagram. Um, so you can find me at Cornerstone FS uh, on Instagram. I love it so much. Marlene, thank you so much for your time and energy. Thank you for listening, folks. We look forward to seeing you on Instagram. Bye. Thank you. See ya. See you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mom Halo podcast, I'd love your support by sharing it with others, posting about us on social, or leaving a really good rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at the Mom Halo. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Sick Kids is helping redefine what's possible in pediatrics. Also, children can lead 
healthier, happier lives. In 2021, Project Halo raised over $150,000 to help build a new sick kids, designed to better serve patients and families. This will include spaces devoted to parents and caregivers, spaces to feel calm, relief, and rest. We are calling on our community again this year to join us in helping build a state-of-the-art hospital. Together, there are no limits to what we can achieve. To learn more and to donate, go to fundraise.sickkidsfoundation.com backslash Project Mom Halo. Thank you for your generosity and support.